Well, good morning. We're glad to see you. We are so glad to be able to come together, and it is an important week. You just heard Archie pray for our national elections, state elections. Uh, it's an important week, and it's a good time to come together for the Lord's Supper. And our service this morning, of course, is working towards that event, where we are reminded that we come together as a family, and we partake of one loaf, and we drink of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And never should the church be reminded of its unity any more than when we do this. So this morning, we're continuing a series of, of looking to Scripture and trying to ask the simplest of questions, and that is, what is the church? And we've been looking in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, at the beginnings of God's people. And if you've been with us, you've heard and been reminded that God's very first people, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and were banished from his presence, banished from the Garden of Paradise, and since then have been roaming the earth homelessly, and yet homeward bound, because God had made promises, that God, for these wandering, idolatrous people, he would provide a prophet, and the office of a prophet to speak authoritatively to his people, to give them direction. He would provide a priest, and a priesthood to lead them in worship because they couldn't even get that right. And then last week we saw that those people, those wandering and idolatrous people, looked at the pagan nations around them and their military mights and their kings, and they concluded for themselves, we want a king. We want to be like those in the earth. And so God gave them the office of a king. And this morning, knowing that we would be coming to the table, I thought it would be right and good to try to bring all this together and connect it with the table and then a transition into the New Testament and the New Covenant and seeing how Jesus himself is our ultimate prophet, our ultimate priest, our ultimate king. And we're going to do it in maybe the strangest of places, but we're going to do it back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. But hear the word of the Lord as we're introduced to substitutionary sacrifice and the very nature of our covenant Lord, the promise-keeping nature of our God, the God of the church. So listen carefully. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up 
and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of his word. Lord, would you open our eyes, our ears, even our hearts, that we might see, believe, know, and understand what it is to be the church and what it is to have you as our God. And we ask this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine with me for just a moment, let's say that there's a father father of, say, maybe four children, a 50-year-old father of four children, and that father knows that the youngest of his children, let's say that child is about 12 years old, he knows that that 12-year-old has his mother's cell phone, because when he texted his wife, he got a snarky response, and with great wisdom, that 50-year-old father was able to discern this person pretending to be my wife, answering 
according to the time of day, for they're out of school, and they must have their mother's funds. And they're pretending to be their mother, giving me this negative feedback on these text messages. <laughs> then let's just pretend that maybe that 50-year-old man decided to capitalize on the moment. <laughs> and so I, or whoever this person is, <laughs> knowing who's on the other end of that phone, decides to say something like, Hey, Marie, or whatever your name is, <laughs> Are we still on with that great idea you had for tonight? What idea, the text responds. You know, the idea of sneaking into Reese's room after he's asleep tonight and cutting off his legs <laughs> with a chainsaw and then sending a picture of a chainsaw. Now, without being reported to Child Protection <laughs> Services, we just say that's the kind of sense of humor we have in my family. <laughs> and the next time I would see Reese, he would be covering his legs, walking <laughs> with fear around me, smiling while he did it. Now, why can we laugh about that? If you laugh, if you share my sense of humor, why can we laugh about that? Because we know we would never do that, right? It's only funny because it's so unreal. And what we've just read in our passage really is no laughing matter because it is real. By the way, this is history. This is not just a story. This is not to be explained away as some kind of imaginary story. This we understand from the New Testament, and I'll quote that later. This is history. And this is part of how God chose to reveal himself in his nature to his people. And it was a horrifying episode. Not one that we would laugh about playfully, but one if you lived through this. And I want you to feel Abraham's angst this morning as we work our way through this text. I want you to feel the drama and know the horror of the moment for him. So let's consider three points from this text this morning. The first is simply this. They're all simple. The Lord God called Abraham to a test of faith. The Lord God called Abraham to test his faith. Now we could stop and have a sub-sermon on the difference between testing and tempting Last week in our pastoral prayer, we read from James that God tempts no one to sin. And this morning in our passage, we see that God does test his people. Those are two different things. Perhaps a different sermon for another day. But in our passage, it is clear that the Lord is testing Abraham's faith, because that's what it says. And it begins with a call. In verse 1 of chapter 22, he says, Abraham. And I just want to highlight that he's using Abraham's personal name. God has a history with Abraham. He has known Abraham. He has loved Abraham. He has made promises to Abraham. And when God calls his people, it's a personal call. Even in your own life, 
hopefully, if you've made profession of faith in Christ and in God, you can communicate personally how God called you personally and intimately through people and through Scripture somehow working personally in your life. God works personally in his people's lives. And here he calls Abraham by name and arrests, commands his attention. And then the Lord calls him, and this is the great test, he calls him to offer a sacrifice. Now let's, before we jump into the specifics of that sacrifice, let's be reminded what a sacrifice was. To sacrifice something... It tended to be the firstborn of your flocks or the first fruits of your field, which was to say it was cherished. It was valuable. You gave it not knowing if there would be a second, and you gave it by faith. And quite literally, the picture of a sacrifice is open-handedness. That God's people don't grasp and hold sacrifice, we offer, we give up what human nature would be inclined to hold on to. And so the whole posture of the Christian life in this world is supposed to be a loose, a loose grip on the things of this life. And that when God calls us to sacrifice, to give up, to walk away from something, his people know what it is to do it in praise of God and in willing following of the Lord. It's called the sacrifice of praise. And then quite literally, God would call Abraham in this sacrifice to give up his firstborn. Sarah and Abraham's firstborn child is Isaac. Now it's true that Abraham had other children by other wives, but this is the child of promise with Sarah. There had been Ishmael, through Hagar, but this is God's promise through Sarah to Abraham and Sarah, as cherished as the promise was when they were old in age, beyond child-rearing years, God gave them this child of promise, and now that open-handed grip will be tested. And it is a horrific call. It is a horrific test. Give me your son, only son, the son whom you love. And you feel how it intensifies. As the Lord says, this is your son, your only son, the one whom you love. And you know, the Lord said the same thing about his own son, by the way, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. You might remember when John the Baptist, Jesus was experiencing his baptism, the beginning of his public ministry. The Lord spoke from on high and said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And here we see Jesus as the ultimate prophet, by the way. That the Lord distinguishes him as the one to be listened to. He will show the way of the Lord and the salvation of the Lord. And so in the way of application, if if sacrifice for us is a loose-handed grip on the things that God has given us, 
knowing that we may be tested to see if we're willing to have those taken away or if we'll prove to be worldly and grasp those things with white knuckles. I suppose it's good for each of us to be asked the question, what are we grasping? Who are we grasping? What ideas are we grasping? What hopes, dreams, and aspirations that you've planned are you grasping? And if the Lord called you to sacrifice those, how much back and forth tug of war would you seek to have with him? That's a hard question for every one of us. Because we love our things. We love our stuff. We love our dreams and our aspirations. But surely the same God is at work in us, calling us to sacrifice maybe our preferences. God calls his people, he tests his people, he tests their faith by sacrifice. Secondly, Abraham answers that call with faith, and really an amazing faith. In chapter 1, or verse 1, the second part of 1, after the Lord calls to him, Abraham says, here I am. A picture of availability. The one who knows me best has called me. Here I am. And little did he know what that specific call would come. The call to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loved. And Abraham would now model what we can call a response of obedience. Remember, it was our first parents, Adam and Eve, who failed that test of obedience and took matters into their own hands. And now Abraham would be given such an ultimate test, and he would respond with what we might call deliberate, step-by-step obedience. And the passage really models that and maps it out for us. Imagine being given that call. And then the passage immediately says that Abraham saddled up. He took the wood, he took the fire, he took the knife, and they made their way up a mountain. What is said to be a three days journey. I want us to stop and think about that for a moment. Here Abraham has been called to do the hardest of things. And he responds with step-by-step obedience. He gathers the things that are necessary for this sacrifice. He packs them up. And no doubt, if you've ever had to pack your suitcase, maybe you've gotten a sudden call to have to go to the hospital with a loved one or to go check on someone who's ill, and, and you're just expecting the worst to be on the other end of this trip, and packing that suitcase can be horrible. Right? I better take this if I'm there a couple of extra days. i got to take this. And that's the kind of experience. Abraham is packing all the things he's going to need. If I'm going to sacrifice my son, I'm going to need a knife. And it needs to be sharp. And I'm going to need to be able to make fire. And I'm going to need some wood. And he's deliberately, he's doing the hard things of gathering the necessary things to obey the Lord. It is deliberate, step-by-step obedience for three days, carrying that stuff, walking, hiking, moving up a mountain. 
where every step up the mountain is a step of obedience. And if his mind worked any, work anything like ours, he's probably second-guessing himself, wondering, well, when I get there, is this really going to happen? It had to be a miserable three days journey to get to the place where he would have to experience what he anticipated. Now let's stop there for a moment. Some of you are likely in the midst of a three-day miserable journey of discipleship that hurts, that's filled with questions along the way. Um, what's going to come of us? How's this going to work out for our good? How can this have a good conclusion? It's the same kind of journey I think that Abraham has here. Every step along the way is a step of dread, of wondering what is going to happen. Some of you are in the midst of that. It might be COVID-related. It might just be life in this world-related. But I want you to hear Abraham and his plodding along, step-by-step -step obedience. And if he had any hope as he walked and hiked up that mountain, every step had to have had the hope of, but God made a promise. God made a promise. He said it would be through Isaac. That he would work redemption. So somehow, some way, I've got to trust the God of promise. We're not told he thought those things, but if there's any glimmer of hope in him along the way, it had to be in the God of promise and in the nature of the God he had come to know. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, says that no discipline at the time is pleasant. Rather, it's painful. Later on, however, however, it produces a, a harvest of righteousness, the author of Hebrews says. And that word of discipline, and that word of disciple and discipleship, they're similar for a reason. And some of you are living, living through discipline, and that is discipleship. And God's calling for step-by-step -step obedience in the details. And I want you to be encouraged in that this morning. God's people have always been called to step-by-step -step obedience and discipleship, even when it hurts, and even when it doesn't make earthly sense, because it surely didn't for Abraham on his three-day journey. But in the end, Abraham saw it through, and he saw it through by faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Our youth are studying Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, and I don't know if you've gotten to this section on Abraham yet or not, but Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 17 through 19, they reference this specific episode where it says this, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. But Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And so Abraham is celebrated in Hebrews 11 
as a man who passed the test, the ultimate test of faith. He saw it through by faith. He took that sharp knife. He had found his son, put his son on the altar. And here's the climactic moment. I guess I'm going to see this through. And it was right at that moment that the angel of the Lord said to him, Abraham, Abraham, calling him twice. And once again, Abraham willingly says, here I am. And here the Lord would show his character, his nature, the kind of God that he is, that he is true to his word, true to his promises, that Isaac would be the one through whom salvation could be reckoned, as it said in Hebrews 11. And there in the thicket, there in the woods, somehow, some way, at just the right moment, a ram, a male lamb with horns, caught in the thicket, caught in the brush. And here the Bible introduces for us this concept of substitutionary atonement. A substitute sacrifice. That no, this one who is bound would not have to die. But there is another who will die in its place. And so Isaac would be unbound. And I want you to think through this. Let's sit on this for a minute. Isaac, who we don't know much, but he's been bound, and his father is old, and he seems to himself have been some sort of willing sacrifice, which itself parallels the older brother Jesus, who would lay down his life willingly. But I want you to think about the moment where suddenly the lamb is provided, the ram is provided, and Isaac is now unbound, and the knife is put down. And now they go and they get the ram and they bind the ram and they lay the lamb on the altar and they kill it. And the text says that this would be a burnt offering. So one of two things would happen here. As the fire is lit, if it's a whole burnt offering, then it's completely consumed by fire. And it's not eaten, it's not partaken, it's not, it's not shared together as a meal. Some sacrifices were eaten together, and they would be enjoyed by those offering it. That doesn't seem to be the case here, but either way, either scenario, I want you to picture father and son. Maybe at this point Abraham's got his arm around Isaac. And they're either watching that sacrifice and the plume of smoke go up, with Isaac thinking, that could have been me. Or if they are partaking in eating, then with every bite, Isaac is thinking, that could have been me. But it was the substitutionary nature of sacrifice that father and son could stand united together and see the lamb, the ram, this overwhelming sense of joy, surely they cried, that that could have been me, that should have been me, that would have been me, except for the grace of God to provide a substitute. Can you imagine the joy between father and son? 
that they now somehow escape the most miserable thing they would have ever experienced together, and now they're scot-free. Imagine that joy and that wonder. That substitutionary joy is precisely the kind of joy that you and I are supposed to feel and know and experience when we come to this table. When we partake of bread that represents body, and we partake of juice in this instance that represents blood, you understand that is substitutionary atonement. The prescription of Scripture was that if you sin, you die. If you sin, your blood must be shed. And God introduced, introduced this substitutionary sacrifice that would ultimately model what His Son would do for us. And that takes us to the hinge of the New Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 29, you have John the Baptist who functions as the last Old Testament prophet himself, who sees Jesus coming and points to him and says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Genesis 22, in the vivid picture here of substitutionary sacrifice, and John the Baptist in John chapter 1 verse 29 pointing to the ultimate lamb, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king who would rule his people with justice. It all comes into the person and the work of Jesus. And you should find great joy this morning as you partake of bread and of wine or of cracker and juice. That God has given you something tangible to remind you of His love, the truth of the gospel, that body was broken, that blood was shed, and the covenant promise-keeping nature of our God has been proved over and over again. Don't let Abraham have more joy than you in his substitute sacrifice, when you and I have been given the greatest substitute, the greatest joy, then it should have been us who was torn to pieces. It could have been us. It would have been us. But God himself bound his son on a cross that he might die, but that he might be resurrected unto life. That's the joy and the wonder of substitutionary sacrifice. And on this chilly and cool November 1 morning, we get to be one body that comes together and remembers it. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing together. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for the beauty and the wonder of this narrative in Genesis but for the beauty and the wonder of the truth that it reveals to us of what Christ himself, the Lamb of God, has done for his people. So Lord, would you enable us, by faith, to experience the joy of substitutionary sacrifice, that it could have been us, it should have been us, it would have been us, 
But for your grace, for your provision of the Lamb. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.